Hello, I'm Sebastian Marshall, and welcome to the Ultra Working Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about biopsychology, biopsychology, theory of personality, and what might be going on in the world. I got a personal note to start. You know, I spent about six weeks really deeply trying to figure out what's going on in the world and what do people need. I think, insofar as we have success, um, at ultra working, it's because we really, really, really relentlessly focus on something we call service focus, um, which is thinking about individual people who are our customers and potential customers, and like how can we make their lives better, and and not in the abstract sort of way, but like actually thinking about a specific individual um, who we we like and respect and admire, and 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 how we can make their lives better. But we also try to think about kind of like what's going on in in global trends and what's going on in the world, and. This is a weird time in the world, and it's a time in the world that I, I don't think the world has seen in about a hundred years, um, a little more than a hundred years. I think the end of World War One, um, with the the Spanish the Spanish flu epidemic um, and pandemic, was the last time maybe like this, maybe. But there was also World War One was getting won, so in parts of the world there was a, a jubilant celebratory thing and it was also before the modern information technology and the internet and jet travel and all kinds of stuff right so i spent a lot of time about six weeks really deeply being like what's going on in the world i don't have the plot i don't understand what's going on in the world and i think we cracked that about two weeks ago and i sat and outlined and edited and and and, and wrote a script for a podcast to, to talk about um this theory biopsychology which partially answers the question and or, or maybe answered the question. And then it was very hard for me to record this show. I'm just kind of like, oh my goodness. There's like, it's such a personal topic for so many people. So the title of this show is Biopsychology Post-Pandemic, right? And even then, you know, whenever I say post-pandemic, sometimes people are like, how dare you? Like, what? how dare you say post-pandemic? The pandemic is still going. I just lost my aunt who I love very dearly and blah. And so first off, I don't mean any disrespect and I don't mean to be presumptuous. I know this all affected different people in different ways. Um, and second, it's such a big thing in the world and it's such a personal topic and it's such an intense topic. So I want to walk you through a little bit about how some of those six weeks went or the culmination of it, because we explored the world many, many different ways um, to try to get there. Um, and then I'm going to talk about one scientific theory that seems valid. Um, that seems very valid, that, that, that might have some explanation of what's going on. And, uh, you know, as I've said multiple times, uh, you know, a lot of people on our team are very autodidactic. We like a lot of research papers. We associate with some legit top scientists um, out of top institutions. And some of, uh, you know, some of our friends are highly published uh, scientists coming out of some of the top universities in the world. And, and, and these are our friends and associates. So we do get to talk with some people that are really at the top of their game um, and have a deep knowledge of both the fundamentals and are pushing their fields forwards in science. But for us, we're, um, you know, in terms of R&D, we're maybe less R and more D, more more development than research. Uh, and we're, we've got those, the classic autodidact flaws where there's some holes in our skill set. We're aware of that. We try to be humble about that. But as we try to synthesize and try to figure out what is going on in the world and what do people need right now, um, as specifically relates to us, right? We make interfaces and services that, that help people get in a peak performance. So we've got our headquarters application, 
um, that has a variety of functions in it, some streamlined interfaces to get stuff done. We have the work gym, we have the pentathlon. Um, and, and these are ways to have a focused work session, have a focused two weeks. Um, and it's pretty cool. And it's been life-changing for a lot of people. The usage patterns, and, and, and not just the usage patterns, but, but how people engage with them seems slightly different. And I've been like, what is going on here? And a theory that I came across partially explains it and we'll, we'll tie it all together, right? So a little bit of a, a personal note, a little bit of a, you know, maybe you'll get to see a little bit of how my thought process unfolded as part of this. So the big takeaways, I want to talk about biopsychology, Gray's biopsychological theory of personality, right? So I think this is fascinating. I think it's well-established and I think we can make some inferences and hypotheses based on it that, that might be quite powerful. So from 1970, 1982-ish, there was an English psychologist, Dr. Jeffrey Allen Gray. He came up with an incredibly interesting theory, which is now called, fittingly enough, Gray's biopsychological theory of personality. Gray hypothesized there were two systems in the brain, a behavioral inhibition system, BIS, a behavioral activation system, BAS. Right? And those acronyms are very similar, BIS and BAS, right? So for ease of remembering, it's the middle letter that matters. I is inhibition, A is activation. Inhibition system, activation system. All right. Gray's theory goes like this in layman's terms. There's two different systems in the brain, at least, that regulate motivation. BIS, the inhibition system, is activated by stimuli related to punishments, boredom, and negative events. It prompts avoidance, motivation to get away or stay away from whatever a potential bad thing is. The current belief, at least according to Wikipedia, is that this primarily lives in the septohippocampal system and its monoaminergic afferents from the brainstem. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm not a neuroscientist, just a curious person uh, that likes to study this stuff and go deep on it. The other side of the equation, behavioral activation system is based on appetitive motivation, as it's been put in a couple places. One, to pursue and achieve goals. Now, those could be goals in a broad and lofty sense, but goal-seeking behavior is actually like a somewhat of a technical term in psychology. You see a shiny can of soda, she's a brand of soda you like, you feel thirsty, you want the soda, you buy the soda, that's a goal-seeking behavior. It's not a lofty goal, right? Soda consumption is not a lofty, grand goal to change the world, but that's a goal-seeking behavior. So behavioral activation system is like, if you like Dr. Pepper, it's kind of a hot day, you see a cool, frosty Dr. Pepper, you're like, oh, want, thirsty, get one, drink it. Skull-seeking behavior. All right. So I dug through some research papers, and I got the sense that uh, you could see elements of both systems lighting up during MRI scans, but the exact causality in the brain of the BAS activation system, the appetite of motivation, seems to be more poorly understood than BIS and seems to be a little more complex. That's the sense that I got. I didn't see anyone say that explicitly. That's the sense that I got. All right. And... I got a paper here, a 2016 paper by Ivanov et al., Children of Parents with Substance Use Disorder, and they said, you know, behavioral activation system is a lot of different regions, orbitofrontal cortex, anterior cingulate cortex, insert cortex, amygdala, nucleus accumbens, goes on and on and on, there's a bunch of these. The orbitofrontal cortex seems to be the most significant nexus for sensory integration, emotional processing, and hedonic experience. So they haven't fully nailed it down. Um, is the sense that I get. Seems like inhibition's a little more nailed down where they know what, what regions are generating that. Activation seems to be actually a more complex phenomenon where you want to go get something. All right, so it seems like there's both a solid theoretical and empirical basis for these, these systems existing. And, or here's how I'd put it. I would, I would describe the theory as absolutely not wrong, right? It's, it's 
correct enough to start working with? Did Were all the terminologies named exactly precisely? Because this was really uh, postulated, hypothesized by Gray, really prior to the explosion of, of modern neuroscience techniques, right? But seems like it was like pretty correct-ish, um, at least. And maybe it's not exactly perfectly correct in all the research. I went through a bunch of papers on this. And we did a bunch of reading. Actually, we did a whole team. We have a group team um, study training session that we do every week. And sometimes we look at research papers. And we actually all went through different papers on, on biopsychology and, and discussed them and studied them. And it was really cool. Um, it seems at least correct-ish, like true enough that you could start working with it. Maybe all the particulars are not exactly correct. Science obviously moves on since, you know, 1970, 1982. We've had some decades since then, but seems to be really quite solid. You could see different brain regions light up in response to different stimuli and stuff like that. Here's the kicker. Here was the first crazy takeaway, like Neo in the Matrix being like, whoa, <laughs> right? For me that I got from this. From behavioral inhibition, behavioral activation, effective responses to impending reward and punishment by Carver and White, quote, because the BAS and BIS, activation inhibition systems, represent distinct structures in the nervous system, being separable both pharmacologically and by brain legions, their sensitivities are presumed to be orthogonal. Thus, within a given population, there should exist people with all combinations of high and low BIS and BAS sensitivity. So that's really, really crazy. Allow me to expound. So when you think of like profit, in a for-profit business. The basic equation is pretty simple. You know, profit is revenue minus expenses. It's like one equation, right? If you wanna know if a given activity in business will be profitable, you can't just look at, look, it's a ton of revenue. You can't just look at the cost. Whoa, it's really expensive. You have to look at both, right? You can't say, hey, we're bringing in all this revenue. Well, like if you're selling something below cost, you know, uh, short of some, some venture capital magic where you scale or whatever, you know, it's not gonna work out in the long term. And likewise, you can't say, well, that's super expensive because if you're bringing in more revenue than the cost of it, then, then that could be fine and dandy. But it seems like motivation doesn't work like that. If I'm reading all this research right, and I think I am, the inhibition system and activation system function somewhat independently. This is kind of crazy, think about it, right? You know, when we think about whether an activity is profitable in business, you need the revenue side of the equation and you need the cost side of the equation, that's profit. It seems like the brain is not doing that. It seems like there's one set of the brain that is only evaluating whether the thing is profitable in this metaphor and another side indicating whether it's costly. And so somebody that's got a lot of um, utilization of the inhibition system is seeing all the costs and all the downsides and, 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 and if their activation system isn't on, then they're maybe not seeing the gains and the benefits, right? And at any given time, you're either processing to a greater or lesser extent using your inhibition system and to a greater or lesser extent with your activation system, they're orthogonal. So they can have both of them flipped on, both of them flipped off, or one of them flipped on and the other one not flipped off, or uh, not flipped on. So that's really quite crazy. And it explains a ton of things. And they've done a lot of, you know, very interesting, um, you know, hypotheses around this and whatnot. And yeah, inhibition system is, you know, uh, correlated, you know, activation of these, these regions that, that are um, thought to be where the inhibition systems uh, that make them up um, are like anxiety, depression, fatigue, low motivation. So like that sucks, you don't want that, right? And the, and the activation systems are like goal seeking and hope and positive affects. So like, oh, that sounds really great. Hey, let's just get our BAS, our activation systems cranked up and inhibition systems cranked down. 
unfortunately, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's not that simple. There's no free lunch, right? Because like someone that's like hardcore addicted to like serious, serious hardcore drugs that like goes like smash the window of a car, steals the radio, sells it to go buy, um, you know, some really hard drugs, you know, some heroin or crack cocaine or whatever. That's all activation system. They're just like, want the crack, want the heroin, gimme, gimme, gimme. Don't care that I could wind up in jail. Don't care that I could hurt my hand smashing this window. Don't care that I'm, I'm hurting other people. All of the downsides are gone. So you also see high activation systems and no inhibition and uh, impulsive behavior, compulsive behavior where you feel the urge where you need to go do something um, and various substance abuse things. So, you know, all else being equal, if you want one of them at the 80% firing, you, you want probably activation, uh, then probably both of them 99% with the other one not at all firing is, is so it probably both leads to bad places. One of them is like you're depressed, you don't want to get out of bed, and the other one is, is you know, smash the window, steal the radio, get, get the drugs, who cares, right? So, you know, you'd think if you're building an android out of something, you know, like a Blade Runner type android, a replicant, you'd want the motivational calculus to be both of them taken into account in one system. And it, it seems like the brain doesn't work like that, which is kind of crazy if I'm reading this right. All right. So reading this was really, really interesting. Behavioral inhibition system, behavioral activation system. Now, when I said, hey, what is going on in the world? What is going on in the world? Right. And really tried to think about that and nail that. We had a bunch of conversations talking about this because, you know, I think you need to know where people are at both individually and where the world is at in order to, you know, do do a great job. Um, if you're doing research and development, putting out technologies and, and trying to serve people and do a good job, right? So we thought about it, we had some some conversations and we came up with at least five core ideas, right? So here's five things that seem to be going on. One is people are making life adjustments post-pandemic. The world's opening up, but people aren't the same people they were pre-pandemic. In particular, relationships, friendships, colleagues, conferences, groups like sport teams, many of those things suffered and, and, and didn't get as much attention and love and, and, and such as they would have. And many routines, macro and micro, both got broken, right? If somebody used to train for a sporting event every year, there's some road race they competed in or something, maybe they didn't get to do that for a couple of years, and that might have also disrupted their training schedule or not. Okay. People seem to be in a low state of readiness and low on excellence seeking right now. In aggregate, there's obviously different people doing different stuff all the time. People in general seem a little overwhelmed right now because not just the pandemic, the economy's going crazy and a lot of things are going crazy in the world right now. Andy Banyas on our team said, you know, it's interesting. People went through a hope, disappointment, exhaustion cycle multiple times in the last few years. Six weeks to flatten the curve, right? It'll be over by summer multiple times. Right, so it's like hope, okay, things are gonna get better, right? Hope, behavioral activation system, by the way, you'll see the tie-in in a second, didn't happen, get disappointed. That happens enough times you get exhausted. So there maybe is a tendency to suppress hope and optimism so as not to be disappointed and exhaustion levels seem to be high in the general population. I know some people that are like, you know, geared up and ready to go, always, but you know, a lot of people that were normal, even above, above average motivated, going and getting it, people are like, oh my goodness, seems to be high. And then per Gray's theory of, of, you know, biopsychology theory of personality, I think people are probably in a highly utilized BIS and, and, and less activated uh, BAS state right now. I think inhibition and avoidant motivation is probably high. And I think it's maybe globally the highest it's been since um, maybe in 100, over 100 years, right? So... Now I'm getting into speculative territory here. I think I faithfully recounted uh, the 
Gray's theory and BAS and BIS and seems pretty good and read a bunch of papers on it. But here's my speculation. I speculate that the dominance of BIS and BAS systems can change for a given individual um, based on specific stimuli as well as based on environmental factors at large, right? So specific stimuli. Most of us, uh, we're getting a car to go for a drive, probably doesn't activate either system super heavily. It's probably just like a matter of fact behavior if you're normally used to driving. If you get into a hardcore car crash, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to get in the car, right? So if a stimuli comes out negative, right? If somebody is like a dog, they love their dog, they might get all excited when they see the dog. If somebody is a little kid was bit by the first dog, they see, they see a dog, they see a dog, they see a dog barking, they hear a dog barking, whatever, then that might generate, oh my goodness, that might generate a threat response, right? Just different stimuli that are neutral, a car or a dog, could be processed as exciting and useful or could be processed as, as scary and threats based on individual stimuli. I don't think that's very controversial. I think that's, I think most people just grant that that's true. I also speculate, I didn't see anything in this in biopsychology. I looked for somebody else working on this. I think based on environmental factors at large, people's dominance of different BIS and BAS systems can change. So during an economic boom where just everybody's getting rich and everything's, everyone's touching is turning to gold. And you know, you, you look at a golden age in different countries. I've been fortunate enough to pre-pandemic travel and see a lot of the world. And you know, you saw booms in, for instance, Vietnam and China, um, in the United Arab Emirates, and you know, the United States had some some golden ages, um, especially after the fall of the Soviet Union and you know, kind of American uh, hegemony. That was like a, a golden age for the United States up until say 9/11 ish, right? Um, you know, you see these, and, and there's just a different current of motivation in the world. So during boom times, I would think that, you know, when everyone around you is, you know, very excited and everything you're doing is turning to gold, uh, the BAS, the behavioral activation system would be more active. I, I didn't see any research on this one way or the other, but I think that's a very reasonable inference and a reasonable hypothesis. So one of the core things that I think is going on in the world is I think it's very likely that a lot of people um, are having you know more utilized more active behavioral inhibition systems which are generally suppressive they're generally concerned with costs and downsides and risks um and, and generally about getting away from upsetting things and the maximal uh the maximal engagement of this system to and, and and this system being very dominant in one's brain is again anxiety depression fatigue um Partially, it's not only that and not exclusively that and not always that if any of those are going on, but this can produce that. So your behavioral inhibition systems just being like super, super, super active. We all have our own baselines on this biologically. Some of it's probably genetic, some of it's probably gene expression, some of it's probably upbringing, some of it's probably the environment around you and you know what your diet is and what chemicals you're exposed to and your general health levels and endocrinology and whatnot. But different people have different levels of BIS and BAS um, and I think they can also shift based on specific stimuli and how they get processed as well as environmental conditions. I think people are in a very high BIS state right now. Um, a lot of people are where the inhibition is high and the appetite of goal seeking motivation and things like hope and excitement are probably low um, relative, right? Again, individuals can be outliers. And you know, again, usually when something's going wrong in one part of the world, Yes, there are events that are global in nature, but, but very often there'll be, you know, no matter how bad something is somewhere, somewhere else in the world will be doing very well and thriving. And I think the pandemic hit the whole world pretty hard. I don't think there was anywhere that was completely unscathed, even the places that maybe dealt with it the best. 
still, uh, you know, became more and more isolated from the other places around them. They typically were islands. Like I believe New Zealand did a very good job of the pandemic, but you know, their trade, their tourism, um, students coming to New Zealand, New Zealanders going abroad, um, were, were less, um, during, during the pandemic. So, so even the places that were the least exposed to it tend to be smaller places that are islands and even they, you know, took some, took some significant downside from it where their friends and colleagues in other countries, their ability to travel and engage were down. So just formulating this theory that I think that's what's going on in the world um, is, I think, important. If people are in a more inhibited state, then, then what do you do? And, you know, as a, uh, you know, as an executive at a for-profit company, uh, I think a pretty noble pro-social want to make the world a better place one, but we're also a company and we need to do good business right away two implications become clear you either meet people where they're at hey our time's tough right now we can blah 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 or you go the other way around you try to overthrow it right and you say hey all right how do we really kick people into gear um and 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 like is there any way to flip relatively quickly to more activation um and and more utilization of behavioral activation systems so people get their get up and goingness up and that's the challenge. And that's the challenge. So, you know, I'm, uh, we did a show diagnosis before prescription a while ago. This is one of my diagnoses as to what's going on in the world is I think in general. And, you know, I even see this. So, you know, a lot of CEOs send each other um, updates, right? So it's very common for CEOs to send even at private companies where there's no, no uh, formal obligation to, to send, um, you know, investor updates and people will typically add friends and allies to them. And, you know, so I get, I get different CEO updates from different people. I had two of them that I saw and I'll, I'll, I'll be a little vague here on the details for uh, respect and privacy reasons. Um, and you will not be able to inference who, who they are. Um, so like, don't even try to guess. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get it. Two of my friends, um, both had major triumphant wins, um, in their organizations like major ones. One of them I would say is a 10 out of 10 win and the other one was like an eight out of 10 win, arbitrarily, let's say. The excitement level that I got in these updates, I'll, I'll be a little vague here, but you know, it's, to me it was very strong evidence. The excitement levels in the 10 out of 10 win was about five and a half out of 10 excitement. Hey, this is pretty good and we're happy that we achieved this and this and this. Like not much hype, not much swagger, not much celebration, not a huge gratitude, a little bit of gratitude for everyone that had been a supporter. Um, of, of uh, this executive's company, but not like a, I'm so profoundly grateful to all these people. This is a major triumph. This is a huge revenue infusion. This is a great new thing that's happening. This is this, this is that. It was like, hey, this is pretty good. Thanks everyone. Like we'll keep working. The other executive had a eight out of 10 level win, really quite solid. And it was two out of 10 excitement. Like despite the challenges, we shipped this win and it went pretty well. And you know, then some other things went wrong, but you know, things were pretty good. And it was like, I'm looking at that, I'm like, this does not correspond. So you see, you know, there might be a bit of a chain reaction effect even where people that are really thriving, and, and, and both these two executives and their organizations are, these were really substantial wins, don't want to be like swaggering and flexing and, and having too good of a time when there's a perception that a lot of people are suffering in the world. Well, you know, mood is a bit contagious, excitement's a bit contagious. So you could see probably some, some feedback loops of people not getting excited, not even willing to get excited when they have big wins and excitement transfers, it spreads, right? So I'm diagnosed before prescription. I like to really understand what's going on in the world and, and have that shape, you know, product direction, service direction, how we build, what we do, where we meet people, um, how we meet people and, and what we do for people. 
And for me, that's the big challenge is I think a lot of people are in a, in a high inhibition state. And again, I think there's two choices there. And if you recognize that you're in a little bit of this state, I think there's two choices. You can meet yourself where you're at and try to incrementally work your way up. Or you could say, hey, are there any bold things I can do to, to try to reverse this and get back to my, you know, within my range of what's possible and more, more activation, uh, utilization of behavioral activation systems and, 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 and more kind of triumph um, accordingly. Then um, there's also the thing about, you know, if you're um, a leader of a team, if you're a, you know, a parent or a leader in your family or in any local civic groups or social groups, if everybody else is inhibited again, do you meet them where they're at or do you try to be like, let's throw off this state of affairs and get to more of a, a conquering spirit and a beautiful spirit? And I think that's the challenge um, is really thinking through what that would look like and how to get there. Um, so that's what I'm thinking about, and that's the challenge. I don't have a lot of prescriptive guidance. I think this was this is literally weeks to months of of really trying to nail down exactly what's going on, um, and and find appropriate scientific theories that that might match it, and discarding some preliminary um, preliminary ideas that were partial but incomplete. And yeah, that's how I'm thinking about it. And maybe that's a challenge for you to think about for yourself. Um, if the activation inhibition system hypothesis by, by Gray and the people that have extended is correct, which seems correct to me. That's something to think about. And my inference that this can change based on macro condition specific stimuli, which I think is reasonable. How do you get into more activation of your behavioral activation system? How do you get more activated, more hope, more goal seeking, more appetite of motivation, more achievement and goodness, um, and or lower the dominance of any inhibition systems. How do you do that for yourself if needed? But even if you're high flying, not everybody's high flying right now. Some people are having a real tough time, right? How do you then help people get to a better state? Do you meet them where they're at and be like, hey, you're feeling inhibited right now. Let's take a small step forwards. Or is it like, you know, arise and conquer like the days of old, you know, as Tennyson uh, wrote, you know, is it, which way do you go? And, and those both seem credible. Um, the latter, Let's get a lot of activation going. Seems like it's potentially more powerful, more of like a sea change, more, 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 more upside there, but but probably a lot harder to do and not guaranteed to work, and could potentially really uh, not 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 work successfully or come across as tone deaf if you tried and didn't do it very elegantly. Um, and yeah, I think that's a, a challenge for leaders right now. Is you can either meet people where they're at if they're in a bit of an inhibited, anxious, a little bit depressed state. Um, and again, that's not everybody. Some people are doing real well and, and thriving and that's, that's, that's very good too. But do you want to meet people where they're at and try to do incrementalism out of it? Or do you want to try to overthrow and, 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 and do a big, big sea change? Those seem to me to be the two logical objects, uh, you know, logical implications of, of how you could, you know, set objectives around this and navigate this. So a little bit of more of a theoretical underpinning and a little bit of Here's a couple of paths we could chart. Not necessarily cool. Let's go do some push-up challenge or something. Not one of those takeaways from this show. But I, I think this was really tied together. And again, it's, uh, it's the biopsychological theory of personality. Um, originally developed seventy to eighty-two, but then extended a lot and worked on with, with modern neuroscience techniques. Can be a jumping-off point. Some of the other points were my summaries and inferences. So it might be worth checking that out and thinking about that as we work on it. Hey, if you have any own thoughts, if you're into neuroscience and science and things like that, if you have any papers that are insightful, by all means, email us podcast at ultraworking.com. Would love to dialogue there. And then yeah, getting a diagnosis of uh, what's going on in the world so that we can take some very powerful, accurate, prescriptive action. That's what we're all about. So. 
hopefully that is helpful and a jumping off point for good thinking, good change, good leadership um, in the coming weeks and months. And as always, thank you for listening. Be well.